Are you an investigative professional? Did you know you can find the best private investigator resources using investigatorstoolbox.com? This resource community was built exclusively for licensed investigators and investigative professionals. You can network directly with members, educate yourself through free webinars and blogs, and even create your own customizable research library. Membership starts for as little as 49 cents a day. Download the Investigators Toolbox app or visit our webpage at www.investigators-toolbox.com. And hello, everybody. Before we get started into this week's episode, uh, I wanted to have Catherine Torres, who is the president of the uh, Tally Association, which is the, the Texas Association, come on and talk about an event that's coming on in a couple of weeks that I'm actually attending and I'm very excited to attend. And And uh, I was at the event last year. So I want uh, Catherine to come on, just talk a little bit about what's going on in the next few weeks with, uh, well, in a couple of weeks with, with this event. So Catherine, welcome back to the program. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say uh, last year, you know, like I mentioned before, I had so much fun going out there. It was my first time attending a tally event and you guys, you go big because <laughs> that's what you do in Texas. Well, and plus last year was our 50th anniversary. Yeah. And when I ran for president, I had no clue that we were approaching a 50th year. And after I won, one of the past presidents came up to me and said, I'm so glad that you won, but I just need you to know that you'll be responsible for the 50th anniversary conference. Uh, <laughs> <Yikes. What? laughs> it was, it was like this huge weight put on my shoulders yeah. immediately after I got sworn in. I just started working on it feverishly two years in advance because I wanted it to be the conference with the most vendors, the biggest sponsorships, the most freebies that people got in their bag, the greatest education. And last year we had actually seven subject matter experts speaking, which is a big deal to have that high level of a speaker to come in. And I wanted excellent entertainment. I don't know. You went in to when the band was there, but that oh, band yeah, was, was over the top. It was nuts. So let's talk about this year because there's cruises and there's all like nutty stuff going on here. So let's talk about 51. What, what's going on this year? So you mentioned the cruise. We're going to be on the Bay Shore of Texas, not the Gulf Shore. We're in the Bay. So it's still on the water, but it's a little calmer. It's a very peaceful, beautiful, beautiful hotel and spot. And since we are so close, there is a yacht that loads up at the Kima boardwalk. And I checked into it and found out that we could get a hundred people on that yacht for a private yacht cruise in the Bay. So we have bought all the tickets up. We are selling out of those tickets pretty quickly. So if people are considering doing that, it's just a nice networker event to be out on the water. They'll have a cash bar in there. They have, you know, some things that you can purchase if you want to buy munchies or whatever. But for the most part, it's, it's just a time of networking and enjoying the beautiful scenery and and relaxation for a minute. It's just a nice kickoff to, to our conference. And that is immediately following our vendor reception. So people will go to training classes early during the day. If they're going to go to a pre-conference training, we have three after the pre-cons, we have the vendor reception at four o'clock. And then 
When the vendor reception ends at 5.30, the shuttle buses will be at the bottom of the hotel waiting to transport people back and forth to the boardwalk. And at the boardwalk is where all the eateries are. They have 10 major restaurants there, places like Papa Do's and stuff like that. Cool. So, so, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the content, the speakers, who's talking this year and what, what's the content and the topics. We have a couple of subjects this year on mental health. I thought like last year we did, we tried to focus a lot more on, uh, um, sexual issues, sex crimes and sexual addictions and stuff like that this year. We have some mental health issues, like how to recognize mental health issues, even mental health for the professional investigator. Yeah, that's a big deal. A lot of us don't think about our own mental health. Some of us deal with some pretty rough cases. I know primarily I deal with crimes against children cases and um, I handle them well, but sometimes people deal with some very tragic cases and sometimes it's just nice to go get a checkup from the neck up. And so this guy will help you to be able to determine if you do need to go and get some kind of, you know, checkup or just to go talk to a counselor or something. And then also uh, recognizing traumatic brain injury and intoxication and how it affects people's judgment. Cause those cases come up, especially in criminal cases. Um, She is classified as an expert and um, she can testify as to why, People make decisions that they make if they have these issues. So those are some really good subjects. We also have on Wednesday night, we have a free three night on Wednesday. If you pay for any portion of the conference, let's say you just want to go to the pre-conference training. Um, Kelly Riddle is doing a big talk on having a success in your business. And that seven hour training, if you just want to attend that, then you can go to the Wednesday evening for free. If you choose any portion of it, you go to Wednesday night for free and that's three hours worth. One of our speakers first one, the first speaker is Kitty Haley from up North. She's one of the top guru speakers on ethics. I was asked to get her and I could not believe she accepted to come. Yeah. Kitty's awesome. I saw her in Kentucky. She's, she's fantastic. I have never heard her. So this will be yeah. really a privilege. Before we jump in the, in the show here, I, I know there's a lot of content, a lot of people to uh, to talk about and, and uh, get the word out on this. But I want folks to go to the site and see it because you guys got a great website and you got all the content out there. So the event is in League City this year, uh, yes. which is near Houston. I encourage folks to go and check it out. So why don't you just plug the website real quick, uh, how folks can go and, and see the T-A-L-I dot O-R-G. And you can't help but see the little tab that says conference. And when you pull it up, you'll see all the pages for the conference. Awesome. But make sure that they look at the other speaker on Wednesday night. There's a study being done and we have an opportunity for advanced investigators, people who interview people. If you have a lot of experience interviewing, you will want to be there Wednesday night for that class. It's we just can't believe we lucked into getting this guy. Yeah. And I got to say, as a New Yorker, you know, <laughs> going out to Texas for me is like, oh, why would I do that? But man, I had so much fun last year and I learned so much. 
the big three, right? The best of yeah. the best come out uh, to these things. So we're the friendly state in the United States. Yeah, the friendly state. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Thank you for coming on real quick and talking about this stuff. Uh, folks, go to that site. Give me the plug uh, one more time for the TALI.org. Yeah, go check it out. I'll be there. I'm sponsoring. I'll have a, a whole investigators toolbox set up. And, uh, you know, Tally's like one of those, yes, you go every year uh, type of deal. So um, it's not too late to book. So please come check it out. Join us. And uh, we hope to see you guys there. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Matthew. You guys have been hearing uh, for a long time about how much I love Crosstracks, but now you're going to hear from somebody else. So we got George Gerges here. George is a member and user of Crosstracks. George, tell me real quickly what you love about Crosstracks. The simplicity of using it and the ability to customize everything that you could do with Crosstracks is awesome. It actually allowed me to take the way that I do my business and implement it into their system. And not only am I able to manage 10 or 15 cases, I'm able to manage 50 to 100 cases with the same effort. Fantastic. So Crosstracks, um, the case management system, they are SOC 2 certified. Basically, that's an encryption, really an upgrade. They're the only ones out there that are doing it. So please support this great sponsor that supports our show. Uh, Check them out. The links are in the show notes. Crosstracks, if you're an investigator, you should be using them today. Welcome to show 151. As private investigators from time to time, we get dragged into the spotlight of big newsworthy cases. Our next guest has made a career out of it. Today, we welcome Ellis Armistead, and he has the lowdown on the do's and don'ts when it comes to high-profile cases. It's a tough balancing act, and it's easy to get seduced into the circus. There's none better at managing this craziness than Ellis. Please welcome Ellis Armistead and your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. Uh, I want to welcome everyone to the program. We are back, and we got a great guest today. Uh, I'm very excited, somebody who I heard on Scott Fulmer's podcast a while back, and uh, I was like, okay, well, I need to have Ellis on my program eventually. So, uh, Ellis Armstead, we uh, hooked up in Louisville at Nally, and uh, we said, you know what, let's get it done. So, I want to welcome you to the program. How are you? Thanks, Matt. I'm good. Yeah, thanks for uh, for joining. If you have traveled the conference circuit, if you are involved in like NCISS or Nally, um, anything like that, you've heard the name, right? You know, uh, people whisper, you've seen the message boards, who is this Ellis Armstead guy? Uh, so folks should know who you are. But for those who don't, just give me a brief overview of your experience and background. Well, Matt, I started out right out of college. I, uh, my parents wanted me to uh, be a lawyer or a banker or something responsible mm. and probably out of, a little bit out of rebellion and nothing else to do. I just fell into being into law enforcement. I didn't mean to stay there. The, the attraction when you're 22 was right. I could ride a motorcycle. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> did you wear a helmet? I guess that's the important question. <laughs> well, I did wear a helmet, but it was... This was in Alabama, and it was hotter than hell. Yeah. Uh, but it turned out to be something I enjoyed. Okay. And I was recruited out to Colorado a few years later, and I was, fairly quickly I was transferred into homicide, mm-hmm. where I spent most of my time before I, a short period as a uh, street supervisor before I left the police department. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the district attorney's office where I continued to do primarily 
homicide, death, suicide, investigations, natural deaths. So I left uh, law enforcement in 1991 and became a defense investigator, primarily criminal defense, because that's what people knew me for. Particularly the lawyers who cross-examined me ad nauseum on homicide cases. I've been doing it ever since. I primarily has been uh, criminal defense, a lot of death penalty litigation, but I do other things too. Yeah. I mean, I I took a look at your CV before we jumped on. You you definitely have done a lot of capital murder cases, actually. That's uh, a, a big background of what you've done. So when you made that transition from law enforcement to private practice, what were some of the challenges or hurdles that you found um, in in getting things up and running at a time where it was a little bit different, right? And we didn't have the technology we have today. Um, right. But what were some of the, the challenges that you saw when you made that transition? I was lucky in that some of the criminal defense attorneys who knew me uh, trusted me and started hiring me. The first homicide case wasn't a death penalty case that I worked on after I left law enforcement was the murder of a Colorado State patrolman. Mm-hmm. And that caused a lot of angst, I guess, among my <laughs> I <would imagine. laughs> colleagues. Uh, the patrolman was a nice guy, kind of like Andy Mayberry, and he let his guard down and these two kids killed him. Wow. control car and uh but i didn't let it really affect me i you know my thing to my colleague ex-colleagues in law enforcement was if you do your job properly for the most part i lose for the defense loses yeah. but if you're taking shortcuts the odds of me recognizing those shortcuts or recognizing that something yeah. isn't right in an investigation are fairly high you know, that's a similar approach. Uh, I had uh, Frank DeAndre on uh, a while back, and Frank specializes in uh, like police brutality and, and protocol and policy and procedure and things like that. And, you know, he's he's a retired police chief and, and all that. And you, you take a look at it and, you know, Frank said something interesting. He was like, you know, you should appreciate the fact that I'm on this case because I'm on your side. You know, like I'm not trying to, you know, bamboos or do anything like uh, I'm just looking to see the policies and procedures and, and, you know, if anything that was not in that policy and procedure that you were supposed to do, you know, is it, is it lacking? So it's more along the lines of taking the liability essentially off the individual and putting it more on the policies that were in place that, that weren't correct. And it was a really interesting way to, to look at things because that guy like he, he's from pennsylvania so he's like listen i bleed gray like the, the pennsylvania gray because that's the color of the the state troopers you know um and, and it was just such an interesting concept so i think there's a lot of guys that struggle with that i have a, a guy on my staff who's a retired state trooper in new york and anytime there's a case that involves law enforcement where they may have done something that they weren't supposed to do or, or there was some negligence involved. He's got like real issues in working in those kinds of cases. And I got to be sensitive to that too, right? I don't, I don't have those, but yeah. you know, conversely, uh, right after the George Floyd killings, I had a couple of attorneys pull cases because they said they used the word optics, the optics that I had been, even though it was 20 something years ago in law enforcement, were not good for their client. Yeah. 
So it works both ways. You know? It does work both ways. It's it's strange. The court of public opinion is is important, right? It's gotten worse. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and, you know, it's interesting because of the topic today that we, we are going to talk about these high profile cases. And we'll, we'll jump into that a little bit later. You know, the pitfalls and the do's and don'ts of, of taking those types of cases and, and what to realize and understand, you know, that, that this court of public opinion is real. You know, it's something that has to be taken into consideration of, of, you know, the media circus and everything that goes around with it. Very much so, particularly nowadays, more so than years ago because yeah. of the, you know, amount of information and proximity to information that everyone has. Yeah. And you've worked on some really, really high profile cases, which we're not going to get into all that stuff. Folks, just Google Bells Armstead and you'll find out, you know, there's some major, major cases that, he, that he's worked on over the years. And, um, you know, who better to talk about the pitfalls of that kind of stuff than, than you. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to, uh, to talk about this. So what are some of the other changes before we jump into the, the topic that you've seen? Cause you, you've been in the industry, uh, for, for some time and you've seen that shift. So what are some of the things that you've noticed? Well, obviously technology is a, is a huge thing. The right. fact that we're speaking remotely now couldn't have been done when I started in criminal cases and in many most civil cases, you have the issue of discovery, right. which is now primarily electronic. I don't do surveillance, but I know people who do, and the equipment has uh, changed dramatically. Right. Computers, how I handle, I have, don't have any file cabinets. I've got That's one that right, right. doesn't have any <laughs> files in it because they're well, as old as I am, I figured out how to put them in. Yeah. I stole them on my computer. Exactly. You better have a lock on that file cabinet, though, just in case <laughs> until our IDI up. shows up. <laughs> better have a lock on it. <laughs> in our profession, I've seen an increase in what I call professionalism mm -hmm. and people seeing it as a real career versus people who just fell out of law enforcement or in some cases fell out of jail to become PIs. I hired people, a lot of them came from, with journalism, right. psychology backgrounds. Out of, I got them out of graduate school. Shout out to yeah. Rachel, right? <laughs> good old, good Rachel, Juan, and you know, many, many others. I, yeah. I think I had two people with law enforcement yeah. over the years, and I probably had 50 employees. You know, it, it's crazy. I, I haven't quite had 50, but I've, I've had a good share of employees and, and, and from different backgrounds. And then when I first started, I always went back to the school that I graduated from, right? So I was John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York City. I'm going to go to the job board and post something. And, you know, I'm only going to hire people that have a degree from the school. You know, that's kind of cool, right? It was, it was like a, a kitschy thing, right? Yeah, if you're going to go work for satellite investigations, you, you have to be John Jay graduate, right? So like for many years, it was like that. But then I found some good people that weren't from my school, right? And I'm like, okay, all right, I got to bend the rules here. And now I'm just like, I'm so desperate for good people. You know, I'll take anybody from anywhere as long as yeah. they're good people. And it, that's really what it comes down to is personality, you know, understanding what needs to, to go into this and, and having the ability to do the legwork and, and, and understand things, which is the old school way of doing things. And the right? people skills. Yeah. Uh, Many people coming out of law enforcement don't have, have, have not had the development. Many people 
coming out of law enforcement have not had to develop real people skills. Yeah. They just show the badge and say, tell me what you know. Yeah. Uh, my criteria was that you have good people skills, get people want to talk to you, and then you can reduce it into a cogent report. Yeah. And, and one of the other challenges too, is the type of investigative you work or work you do doesn't always line up with that person's background. Right. So if you have somebody who's law enforcement and they're trying to determine, you know, who, who committed the crime, right. Who's responsible for committing the crime, trying to retrain them to the idea of no, it is more of who's liable, right. Who is negligent in doing something. And it's just, it's a little tweak, you know, but you got to understand that, you know, Nobody's doing a purple walk over here for a car accident, you know, it's, exactly. it just doesn't happen, you know, uh, and, and just trying to understand that you got to look at things just with different goggles, just a little bit different. Um, you know, the, the criminal side of what we do a little less, right? Because there is that uh, aspect to it, but talking about civil litigation, as opposed to a law enforcement experience, that's been one of the challenges. I think the folks that fail in trying to do what we're doing not being right. able to get over that hump of understanding the differences, a little nuances and that stuff, right? And lastly, one of my pitfalls was I was used to having a check every two weeks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was not used to running a business. Right. And that was one of the hardest things. And I think it's one that many people forget about or they don't understand it when they go into our business and can't give away their time they have to charge for it and you have right. to make sure where the money is coming from right right now these are all very good valid points okay so we're going to jump out here and take a break and when we come back we're, we're going to jump into the pitfalls of working on the high profile cases so everybody sit tight and we will be right back want full data access without a site inspection irb search gives you full social security numbers dates of birth up-to-date contact info, and so much more without the inconvenience or cost of an inspection. As an added bonus, you can access IRB data on any device in any location. You'll always have the best data anytime, anywhere. Visit irbsearch.com and use exclusive promo code PIPOD2021 for a free trial and 100 credits. Offer available for new and returning customers. Looking for an insurance agent that puts you first? Every PI business is different. That's why OREP Insurance can shop multiple markets to ensure you get the best coverage to meet your unique business needs. OREP's model is business by the golden rule, and for over 20 years, they've built their business by putting their clients first. So come enjoy a fast online application and same-day certificates of insurance at OREP.org. OREP has coverage for armed investigators, executive protection, and even has a separate policy for security firms. The application takes less than five minutes, so visit OREP.org today. OREP.org. The summer's here, and that means it's time to bundle discounts with the Investigator Education Consultants. Bundles are available on the fundamentals of the profession, gumshoe talent, putting it all together, hard time crime, and pocketbook crime. If you purchase any of these combinations, you'll receive a 10% discount by using the code BUNDLE, B-U-N-D-L-E, 
visit the website at investigationeducation.com. That's investigationeducation.com. Check out the latest issue of PI Magazine, available online or via hard copy. Visit PIMagazine.com to learn more. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host. Today, I have the incredible honor to have Ellis Armstead on the program with me. Ellis, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. So one thing I love about NALI is when you go to the National Association of Legal Investigators, their conferences, you really have the opportunity to meet folks like, like you, you know, like for me, yeah, I've been in business for, for a bit, you know, 17 years in, but I, I don't have that experience that Ellis has. And Ellis does something completely different than, than what I do. And I just so appreciate talking to Ellis, the Kitty Haley's, the John LaJoy's like folks that have been doing it for a time that can help me not make the mistakes that they made, <laughs> which is why we're talking today on this topic. Um, you know, it's, um, and the Louisville conference was amazing. I don't know if, did you have yeah. a good time down there? No, I, I, you know, those conferences, be it Nally or others are very important, have been very important to me throughout my career as a legal investigator. I have friends all over the country and to the great the world yeah. uh, who I look forward to seeing once or twice a year. Yeah probably have more friends on that level than I do here in Colorado. They're not competing with me. Sure. The only thing I want to say that there was like a horse race and, and I came in second in that race to, I lost to Rachel Roberts, but Rachel cheated. That's all I'm saying. Oh, that's nothing. New. <laughs> I'm super competitive. I got used to that over the years. <laughs> yeah. It, it was funny. Like I didn't even want to do this thing. So for folks that don't know who weren't there, so we had like a trivia contest slash horse race. So every time you answered questions, you got to take a step forward and there were two different heats. And then the two people that won the, the heats would go head, head to head for the championship. So Rachel won the first heat. I won the second heat. And then we had this question off. Right. And uh, I didn't even want to do this thing. Like somebody nominated me for it. And once I got nominated, I'm like, OK, I'm all in. <laughs> like now I'm going to win. <laughs> like, <laughs> And it was uh, it was a lot of fun. But uh, well, uh, in fairness, Rachel along with several others are i'm very proud of oh yeah yeah we had fun I, i'm gonna say i let her win because you know it's not cool for a sponsor to come in and win like an event so yeah, well, uh, you know i, I take a step back <laughs> so, hard out smarter that's the story i'm sticking with <laughs> so uh but yeah so conferences amazing and just uh you know having a good time and and the, the food down there, the, the atmosphere was, was great. It was always great to see people alive and, and uh, in person. And, um, you know, the content that, you know, Rachel was, was a speaker. I think she spoke twice there, um, which, was, which was great. So um, you know, really, really good stuff. But let's jump into the topic here. So before we took a break, I, uh, I teased it a little bit that we were, we were going to talk about high-profile cases. And, you know, as an investigator, what do you do when you all of a sudden – you're in it. Somebody calls you and says, I've just picked this case up and I need you to work on it. And it's something that's all over the news and uh, it's a big deal. Like how do you start and how do you make sure you don't do anything you're not supposed to do? So give me your take on that. What, what's been your experience? Well, I think in retrospect, what you need to do, and I didn't always do this, but I've learned it, you know, 
you get the call and you don't, the temptation is to immediately be wowed by the publicity, uh, you know, uh, the high profile, the attorney, whatever the issue is, and just, just immediately say yes. And I have learned to slow that, that process down. Sure. Uh, just because it's a high profile case doesn't mean it's going to be good for your business. That's a good point. You have to think, think through ahead of time uh, several issues and ask hard questions before you say yes. Because once you say yes, you're kind of bought in, you're kind of trapped. Right. And you may not have the flexibility to structure the investigation that, like, that will fit your style. Mm-hmm. The first thing I ask or think about, it's not so much asking, but thinking and asking, is who's the attorney or attorneys? If this is a major case, uh, is this a good fit? Am I a good fit for them? Uh, because you're going to get to know each other very, very well. Uh, I've worked with attorneys all over the country uh, or teams of attorneys, and there could be pitfalls, and you just have to get a feel for what their goal is, what their uh, are. One thing, are they in it for their client or are they in it to get publicity for themselves? Sure. And the latter is nightmare. Yeah, especially ask the Tiger King guy. I think his legal representation Uh, was all about just getting a word out about who they were, right? And in fairness, it's not just their attorneys. I've seen PIs and psychologists and everybody else tag along on a case and do the same thing. Somebody wants to do a roast beef commercial, be in movies, you know, they, they, those, yeah, exactly. those are, those are people that you, you got to open your eyes up and say, Hey, what's going on? I mean, to a degree, we all know some of the people I'm talking about. Yeah. Also want to know who's paying for this. Getting back to my previous comments, you can't forget this is business. Yeah, sure. People get all excited when a major case uh, comes along and they forget about thinking ahead. This is a major case. Where is it headed? Who is funding it? Now, in many cases, in criminal cases, death penalty cases, they're funded by the government for the most part on the CJA and the federal level. But on other cases, they're they're not. And the worst thing happened is to get two-thirds of a way through a case and then there's no money and you're yeah. stuck working on it for free. Yeah. And there, there are ways around that now that are a lot easier than the way it used to be. Right. So everything, you know, we all live in the world of credit cards and instant processing and, and all this other stuff. And I think it's so important to take retainers and not apologizing for taking retainers yeah. up front and really uh, analyzing, asking the right questions as to what needs to get done, how you're going to approach it analyzing that and putting forth a, a number that you don't have to go back and ask for more later <laughs> is a challenge, but it's something that we, we need to do. And I always get this. I had a phone call this morning with somebody on a, uh, there was a lot of work that needed to be done. And my question to him was, are you going to let me do this the way it should be done? <laughs> you know, like, here's what I would do. 
this is, you know, this is not going to be cheap stuff because there's going to be a lot of time involved in this. Are you going to let me do this the way I want to do it? And when you have that relationship with your client, um, more times yes to no, you have the ability to do that. It's a little difficult on these one-offs, um, on these bigger yeah. things. They don't really know you, uh, but but you got to have that analysis. And it's all about asking the right questions in the beginning. And Elvis, I think you talked about some really good stuff there. Um where you know you got to be able to give a quote to the work that needs to be done so you don't have to go back and ask for more later or if you do you know it's not a big surprise i guess at that point right true and in the major cases i mean some of these will drag on for two or three years yeah. it's hard to be precise at the beginning but you just need to stay on top of it yeah. and not get behind yeah communication you know have, have those updates with your client Here's status. Here's where we're at. This is where the budget is and we spend. Here's a forecast of where we're going. And, you know, you don't want to have those surprises. And, you know, I, I would assume on these high profile cases, you could come along the lines of, hey, well, you know, you're going to be getting business out of this because, you know, you're the investigator on it and you should take less and you do that. Like, don't do that, folks. Don't ever do that. You know, you're you're selling yourself down the river. It's not worth it. You know, no. we're, we're a profession, right? Uh, it may make your ego feel good for a while but at the end of the day that deflates pretty quickly you need that paycheck every two weeks or every week or whatever you know it it it, it works there um and you know there's always agendas too so understanding like all the players and what their agendas on here and, and what the end goal is you know do they have your client's best interest at hand here and just kind of understanding that um and, and you know what do you do when you don't agree with the theory right so like an attorney wants to hire you to do something and they have a theory that they want to push to a jury but it's not necessarily the truth or or it's just a little twisted like ethically can you get on board for that you know that that's i can only imagine on criminal stuff like on civil cases for me i have issues with that but criminal yeah there's a fine line and yeah. uh you know, I tell my clients, I'm going to do this uh, or work this case using uh, the best standard investigating practices. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to put up. I'm not going to do anything illegal. I'm not going to help someone. I don't care if it's an attorney doing something illegal or something that I feel is unethical. Yeah. Now, I can't control what they do in court. Yeah. Most I've been lucky. Most of my attorneys uh, have been um, are, are ethical, and I've not had that problem a lot yeah. on the major cases. But there's been other times when that wasn't the case. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen you know attorneys convinced on a theory, and then when you go out and you start investigating, and you're like. Mm. That's not the theory. <laughs> it didn't necessarily happen this way. And then like them getting angry with you. Like, why are you not like preparing this the way I want you to prepare it? It's like, Hey man, I just told you how you're going to lose your case. Why don't you just say thank you <laughs> and prepare to how you're going to deal with this damage that's coming down the river. Right? Well, how I deal with it is, you know, the attorney, a lot of information I bring attorneys is bad. <clears throat> a lot of the information I, bring back is not great information and it may not fit their theory, but they need to know that before they get ambushed in the courtroom. Sure. And if they can't appreciate that their client may lie to them, 
the witnesses may lie and their initial theory generally formulated from a conversation with the client isn't going to work. Yeah, what, what are some are some other um, pitfalls that you've seen uh, along the way? I'm sure press is, is an issue, right? Where they're trying to get a hold of you and, and trying to get comments out, out of you prematurely. Press can be an issue. Uh, my thing is I don't engage with the press. Uh, I got forced into it a couple of times. It wasn't pleasant. Uh, they try constantly. I still get calls several times a month on some of my older cases. Yeah. I did have the press uh, on one of my cases where one of the tabloids hired another private investigator to get into my bank account, credit card, phone bills. That's crazy, man. <laughs> and before the case was over, I didn't know about it. Wow. It all got delivered to the law firm on the front steps in a plain envelope. It was about that thick of all my personal records. Yeah. That's intimidation. Jesus. So, yeah. I mean, that's unpleasant. I've been followed. Uh, I've had uh, up to security when I had an office building. Uh, yeah. As a people walking in, and I had several employees, and there's a case it generates a lot of national attention so all that said i try to avoid it yeah avoid it. And i have friends in the press you know i don't generally don't talk about cases yeah and you know it's it's interesting too now with like you know netflix and all these other um, smaller production companies that have ramped up and understand that there's a huge market for documentaries yeah. Um, that you're seeing, you know, just documentaries coming out of the woodworks on all different things. Um, so I'm sure you're getting calls on stuff that you like, oh, I thought this, you put this one to bed already. <laughs> like it's been years and here's somebody wants to do another angle and they're, they're calling For sure, yeah. and stuff. Never ends. Yeah. I mean, is there a point do you feel that, that you can talk about something that, that, you know, it's like, okay, enough time has passed and, you know, I've got an angle here that I just kind of want to get out there. Um, is there a time where it's okay to do it or, or do you stand hard and fast? It is what it is. I'm not giving comments on anything. It's not hard and fast. I'm careful. I do comment, or, you know, uh, you know, like I've given talks and stuff where mm -hmm. I discuss the case. I don't discuss uh, client communications, you know, privileged communications. Privileged stuff you can't, right? Yeah. Um, just it's kind of a case by case analysis on how I handle it. Yeah, I mean, have you ever been contacted by the attorney that hired you, and and that attorney saying, "Okay, like I want you to talk about this or or do something on this," or or has that never happened? No, I've not had that experience because yeah. <laughs> they generally do it themselves. <laughs> exactly. Kind of weird, but you, I mean, you never know. There's so many documentaries and things um, out there that uh, uh, you just never know. Um, so let's talk about like some of the effects that these high profile cases have on internally on your staff and, um, you know, the families of of, uh, of the victims or, or, you know, even the defendants that you're, you're building a defense for. Like, how does... How, how have you seen over the time, like, these issues affect them? 
Well, particularly in these major cases, but even in the low profile, but still major case, uh, there tends to be a lot of collat what I call collateral damage, mm -hmm. which is a term one of my former clients used. Sure. I think if we back up to where in the decision making, whether you're going to take the case is the effect on your staff. Mm. And uh, so I start, how is this going to affect my staff and my clients? Uh, do I have the staff? Am I ready to uh, ignore my other clients because of a high profile case? And then what is the effect personally on the staff? I've had staff, um, in one case, I actually had to have a psychologist come in and debrief the whole staff because one of them had exhibited some real concerning behavior and had become too close to the case. And part of that was my fault, although I did consistently remind them that uh, they can't get too close to the client, uh, yeah. um, client's family, whoever, witnesses, and you have to be able to survive this case and get back on the saddle for the next case. Right. Uh, clients can be very manipulative. Uh, that's a lot of times why they're in trouble. Yeah. Families can be manipulative, uh, maybe not deliberately so, but they can drag you into their drama, and that's not your job. Yeah, there's just a, there's a lot of trauma involved in these things, right? So there it, is. It's it's unintentional, even at times, and you know, understanding that what you're working on is probably the most important thing in their life, you know. Right. Probably they'll never have anything more important than you resolving this matter one way or the other and just understanding the weight that's that's behind it. And, you know, listen, I've been doing this for 18 years on my own and 20-something, you know, whatever, and I've seen quite a few things. And I get asked that question a lot, like, how do you, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> you know, like I've seen some things I care not to see and experience. I mean, even just this week, you know, I had somebody um, – that was insisting on seeing a video of their loved one getting run over. And I'm like, don't do it. <laughs> like you're, you're going to live with it forever. And they insisted on doing it. And man, the second they did, you know, they immediately regretted it. And it's. Well, I, you know, along those lines, a few years ago, we had a case, I forget the nature of it, but some guy was, I think he'd been shot. No, he'd been shot, but I don't remember the circumstances. He was already at a funeral home and they wanted, the attorneys wanted pictures, mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, the attorneys wanted additional pictures taken. Yeah. So I just, without thinking, sent two of my people out there and go, undress this dude, take the pictures, you know, right. and without thinking about when they come back, I don't think to me, that was nothing to them. It was a big yeah. deal, and I should have thought it through better. Yeah, yeah. I try, I try and shield my folks from from that stuff too. Yeah. I, I've had my fair share of photographing remains, and it it's 
I always try and approach it as like, you know, scientific and, you know, like, I don't really know this person, but there have been times where I've met somebody and then, you know, I've gone back a month or two later and they're expired. And now I'm taking photos of them. And I'm just like, Oh, that's a bummer. You know, like yeah. <laughs> I was just chatting with this person two months ago, you know? Um, so it's, uh, it's weird. You know, it, it, there, there is a lot to it and keeping in mind um, of that. I, you know, I thought you, you had touched on an interesting point before uh, when you were talking about, you know, um, taking these high profile cases and, and, and um, you know, how do you manage your other cases during that time, understanding that some of these high profile cases are going to take a year or more to, to resolve and, and managing that. That's, that's got to be a challenge, man, to keep everybody happy. It is, and what I've learned uh, is that I kept a couple of people outside of the major case to fill in the void. Mm -hmm. uh, also, would seek help from people outside my business that you were trustworthy and honest. And I also made it, even though I was busy and often traveling, made a point to keep in touch with them client or the attorney client just to know my fingers on the pulse of the business and how things were going. How do you get around the fact where they want to hire Ellis and not Ellis's team? Not Ellis's team? Yeah, like they'd rather have you personally on it. They're not comfortable having any other Well, I'm not the end all be all to investigation. Oh, come on. Sure you are, man. Uh, <laughs> You've got an award somewhere. I, mean, for I have I met many of my People who I've worked with over the years my, in my business are probably better investigators than I am. Yeah. I'm good at organizing things. Uh, I think I'm decent as an investigator. Yeah. Uh, but, and I tell people that I'm not a fit for every witness. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fit for every case. Mm -hmm. So I just be upfront with them and they have to understand that it's my call. If there's other people that need to be involved to go to an interview or go to. And you, as a business, uh, I'm sorry, but as a business owner, like you got to be okay with that, that, you know, this person is not going to do the exact same job you would do. You know, they're going to do it their own style. You know, you can give some general direction, right? So here's an outline of, how this needs to be approached now do it in your own style and even your own report writing right it's never going to be exactly the same and yeah, everybody that works for me has a, a, a different way of yeah. doing things um and it's like okay well is it is it meeting the standards of of my work products you know it doesn't have to be carbon coffee but as long as it, it's meeting those standards and understanding that that's that's an important factor too um but it is a struggle sometimes to get your clients to agree that okay so it's not going to be this guy it's i'm hiring like for me i'm hiring satellite i'm not hiring matt right so when you understand that right um and and i got some great people that have great strengths in areas that are much better than me and i think one of the things also to consider is matt's also you know managing a business and worrying about payroll and and worrying about where the next job is going to come from whereas you know you know uh, sam spade who's been working on this thing like his only focus is solving that problem and answering that question right and i once you explain that to people like attorneys and your your clients and stuff they usually tend to understand that a little better i think right yeah no i've never really had 
any real blowback from using other people yeah. from employees or people I trust. Yeah. I, I get it very rarely. And the reason I, I, I have gotten it over is just because I'm a boutique type business. So I'm kind of on a smaller scale and you build relationships, right? You do really good on a job. You're, you're having dinner with a, with a client, you've built that relationship and it's like that comfort level is, you know, like, Hey, I don't want the bait and switch. Like I, I, I want to hire you and not this other stuff, but then, then understanding that they're not actually hiring you, they're hiring satellite right. or whoever insert business name here, you know, is a, uh, is a way to, uh, to get around doing that. So let's, let's go, let's rewind just a little bit and let's say, okay, so you've had that meeting now, you've got your budget in place, you know, you're, you're ready to go. Like what are the first steps in these high profile cases that a, an investigator should get going? Like what's the formula in your opinion to that? To do a broad outline of what, how the case appears, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> You want to try that again? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So just do do a broad that one. You can start with that. Do what? Uh, you can start by saying do a broad outline. Oh, do a broad outline of the case as it appears now. Now that outline may change or will change as the case progresses. And then look at the investigative team. Plan the investigation in conjunction with the attorneys and other people, depending on the nature of the case, and set up good communication channels between the different teams. Uh, in some cases, in criminal cases, you may have a mitigation specialist or team, the fact team, and then you have the attorneys, and then you have the paralegals and social workers, and you have to... Uh, there has to be consistent orderly communication and set that up from the beginning because once you're in the weeds in a case, it's almost impossible to go back and set it up. Sure. And then identify the goals. and Well, go back and identify with your investigators who, at least at the beginning, is going to do what, who's going to have the most client contact, or say the client's incarcerated, who is going to uh, do the research, uh, who is going to be doing the witness interviews, uh, particularly if they're out of state, right. and where, and who's willing to do it. I had one case where I had three employees out of state for two or three months at a time. All right five days a week, it got old. Yeah, that's a lot uh, for sure. I, I would uh, think that you would need a really good case management system to have, uh, you know, that kind of um, instructions and, and just game plan of yeah, structuring yeah. things. Um, you know, something like a cross tracks or whatever, you know, is, is really important to um, efficiency and, and being able to give direction, I, I would think. Um, and, Listen, these Zoom meetings help too, like being able Zoom, to- Slack, bro. I mean, it's all kinds of tools. WebEx, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, we didn't have years ago to help. We'd make it, I wish I'd had years ago. One of the things you have to understand when I take my, this is just me, but I think it's a good approach. 
it could be the case of the century, but I approach it like I've always approached even a minor case. Yeah. I was, uh, when I was, I was fairly young when I transferred into homicide. And, uh, like they said, is you know, everyone goes, oh man, you're young, you're in homicide, you're this, you're that. Right. But I worked the cases just like I worked for the most part of burglary or the same procedural steps. You know, obviously in a burglary, you don't have a body, awesome. Right. That kind of I, ho- I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I heard. Well, depends on the burglar. Yeah. But you just, uh, you use the same basic solid investigative steps and don't sure. forget them just because it's a big case. Don't take shortcuts because it's a big case. Yep. Don't expand and do things that are unnecessary because it's a big case. Yeah. A big case, you can run down rabbit holes all day long. You get stuck. If you're not yeah. discerning. That's true, man. That's, that's really good knowledge here. So, Ellis, we're going to wind down over here, man. This was so great. Thank you so much. Uh, it was an incredible honor for me to to chat with you about this stuff and just get your perspective on this. I'm sure we could probably do another hour, <laughs> but uh, uh, you've been gracious enough to to give us some time here. If folks did have some questions for you, um, I, I know you're um, a NALI member and um, you're on the board frequently, the message board, uh, but what are other ways folks could get a hold of you? Well, my uh, website is Armistead Investigators, A-R-M-I-S-T-E-A-D, Investigators, O-R-S, plural, dot com. Mm-hmm. It has my uh, contact information on it. And, and we'll, we'll have that in the show notes for folks as well. Okay. But hey, man, thank you so much for coming on again. And um I uh, I hope everybody's been blessed as as much as I have by this chat here. You know, thanks for taking the time to to share your knowledge, and that's one of the other new things too. That would that in, in the industry here, people like talk about how to do things <laughs> now. They didn't used to do that, uh, so which is refreshing, and it's it's cool stuff. So, thanks for having me. Yeah, so thanks everyone for um, you know checking this out, and uh, we'll have another show for you guys next week. And uh, thank you for supporting the show. So everybody have a great week and we'll talk to everyone soon. Take care. Thank you, Ellis, for this great information. He really has seen it all and worked on so many different types of cases. We also want to thank Crosstracks, IRB, OREP, Investigator Education Consultants, and Tally for sponsoring the show. Consider going to the Tally Conference this year in a few weeks. The show notes will have more info. So please support our great supporters. Have you thought about joining Investigators Toolbox? Now is the time to get on board and join the fastest growing digital community for investigative professionals. Use code PIP201836 to save 10% on membership. If you have a question or a comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd like your feedback to bring you the best shows possible, and we'll be back next week with a new show, so make sure you tune in. Stay safe out there.